Hello, I'm the podcaster without fear, Luke. And I'm the uncanny Ryan. I am Kylie the Poodinger. I am the superior Caitlin. And I am the agitated Kyle. And, and we are most of the Nerd Dome Podcast. Every Friday, some variation of this group gets together and talks about all things nerd. The newest stuff in TV, movies, comics, video games, and more. So join us in the Dome every Friday to hear all things nerd. From a bunch of people who are probably a bit too into it. Think of the children! You are a sad, strange little man. You have my baby. Farewell. Oh yeah! Buzz Lightyear, you're, a, you're an action figure! You are a child's plaything! And this is the Buzz Lightyear aisle. Back in 1995, short-sighted retailers did not order enough dolls to meet demand. Oh, won't somebody please think of the children? I think you can kiss your trade franchise goodbye. Hey everybody, welcome to a, another very special episode of Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye, the movie podcast that talks about movie franchises, and we got a brand new franchise this week, the Toy Story franchise, chosen by Melissa in our State of the Franchise about a year and a half ago, um... Melissa, why did you want to talk about Toy Story? I love these movies. Um, mm-hmm. I, there's really not a bad one in the bunch. And I know there's like debate about whether the fourth one was necessary. But even if it wasn't necessary, it wasn't a bad movie either. Um, yeah. And I just feel like they make me happy. They're, they make most people happy unless, you know, you really are completely heartless. I've got a little sliver of heart. So, you know. They made that sliver happy. And the thing is, we talk about so many movie franchises where like half or more of the movies are just awful. And it would be nice if we could just enjoy ourselves like, you know, throughout the entire franchise, even if it is on the shorter side like this one. Um, so, yeah, I I really um, I know I just wanted to to talk about them and and it's a nice palate cleanser too in a sense because most people really enjoy them and there's criticisms you can give each movie of course but I think for the most part they're just really great yeah and that's why you are our returning champ (laughs) thank you so much for being here and thanks everyone else for being here Uh, Kit you're here JB you're here Brooke you're here I'm Andy. I'm here. Uh, that's intros. Yeah. <laughs> There's a snake in your boot. There's the, somebody are in the water hole. We'll, we'll, we'll build our personalities through the movie, not unlike Toy Story One. <laughs> yes, indeed. You're hey. our leader. <laughs> the claw. The I have claw. been chosen. You have been chosen. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, Toy Story. Um, I too love this franchise. Um, it, it just like Melissa said, it you know this is like every single movie is is a home run. Basically, I just I think all four of them are great, and I'm so excited to talk about them. And I'm really excited to talk about uh, this one because there's a lot of like crazy behind the scenes stuff, and I yeah. I'm, I'm totally here for that stuff. Um, I know when I first saw this movie, and I'm pretty sure that I saw it with Kit, I, I have a memory of going to see this, but 
do you remember going going to see it together or it, it would be something that our family would have done i have mm -hmm. no memory of seeing this in the theater i i have a lot of memories of watching this with a roommate but i can't remember which roommate it was not me yeah, I was like, I, it was either Davy or Jamie because it's like they like we would just walk around the house going like, "There's a snake in my boot," but I don't remember. Uh, it would have been. Yeah, I don't think it would have been Davy because yeah. in, in our house there were actually snakes because we lived next to that gully. <laughs> yeah. There's a legitimate snake in our boot. I was not prepared for that. Yeah. We had all kinds of stuff. We had. Remind me to tell you the possum story. One yeah, time. possums and rats. And... Size. Yeah, the giant bug that, that scared us that came through the window, the huge green bug <laughs> that yeah. we thought was a drone. With, so it but must there have been Jamie. I think yeah. I saw, yeah, I think I saw this maybe a little bit later um, because okay. it might have come out. When did it? It came out in 1990. It was, the, it was the Thanksgiving movie in 95. Yeah, yeah, I... I think I must have just must miss this one a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, but I remember seeing this and then was very much on, on repeat on VHS. Um, what about, what about the rest of y'all? I went and saw it in the theaters and what year was it? Did 95. 95. 95? Yeah. Oh, that makes <laughs> when in 95 was it thanksgiving okay that makes sense because we had we hadn't had just moved to utah not too long ago so that would have been with my family before i really had friends so that makes a lot of sense ah okay yes before you met us. Whoa. Before I met all of you lovely people. My mom would take us to the movies and then she would sleep through them. And we began to like think that it was just her way of getting a nap while not allowing us to destroy the house at the same time. So. Uh, a legit strategy for <laughs> Yes. Uh, Melissa, when, when was the first time you remember seeing this? I went with my bestie. And we went and saw it um, opening day, but but well, I guess the day after. Um, I always worked till like midnight at work back then, and um, she worked till like eleven. So uh, we would get together and go see like the twelve thirty one a.m. showing on Friday nights. And um, yeah, this that was the way we we could like go see a Disney movie without a child and feel okay about it. Cause it, it's more there, you know what I mean? Yeah. So like nobody was suspicious of you or anything. Um, but we loved that movie so much that we went straight to Walmart. Remember when Walmart was open 24 hours y'all? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and um, we, we went and bought all the merchandise. Like I bought the Woody doll with the, you know, that you pull the string and it's like, there's a snake in my boot and you know, all the other stuff. And, um, she preferred butts. I preferred Woody, which is pretty typical of us. Um, uh, we're pretty different people for the most part, her and I, um, although we do agree on a lot of stuff. So, but we, yeah, we absolutely loved it. She got so into, um, like she already loved Mr. Potato Head before this, but she really got into it after that. And to this day, we still buy her like 
Mr. Potato Head related stuff. <laughs> nice. Whenever there's new stuff like um, for birthdays and holidays and stuff. So, yeah, this this movie just like blew us away. We couldn't believe how much we loved it. That's that's super nice. I because I mean I remember being like like on the cusp of like like maybe I'm too old for this but like still really vibing with it and really enjoying it um I'm I'm glad that like a, a an actual real adult person who saw this for the first time when they were an adult you were like oh yeah I was jazzed to see it and I immediately loved it so makes me makes me feel a little tiny bit more mature <laughs> so that's good um yeah um i well i remember being really excited too about the collaboration with pixar and it being the first one right and then they had all of the the army guys at mm -hmm. disneyland when you would go there and see them did you did any of you go to disneyland right after this not right after um I think the next time I would have been at Disneyland would have been like summer of 96 oh. after this. So but they yeah. did like a promo thing where the Michael Jackson ride was, but oh, they yeah. had all the army guys there and you could like crawl through and they would like give you a, like a certification to be one of the army guys. And they all had the big plastic things on their feet and were all green. And it was a lot of fun <laughs> I remember going down and getting to see that. It was cool. No way. That's awesome. That's way fun. Is that like where the arcade is now, or uh, I think still, so. It's still the Captain oh. Neo Theater, but it's yeah. Sometimes it's it's a preview, and sometimes it's Captain Neo, depending on the time of year. Well, I don't know anymore, but that was at least five years ago. Yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't been to Disneyland in over <laughs> a decade. It's been too long. You know, Andy, it's funny because I, I was thinking, I never saw this in the theater, and now I remember why. You know the movie that came out the weekend before this, by chance. I'm sure I do. What is it? Yeah, I'll give you a hint. The theme song was sung by Tina Turner. Bodyguard. Uh, Goldeneye? Goldeneye. Okay. 13. So Goldeneye came out, American President was out, and Seven was still in the theater. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As well as it's... Ace Ventura when yeah, Ace Ventura, right? And get shorty, but I only I think I only saw that once, even though that's one of my favorite um pseudo comedies. But it's really interesting that I think it's really cool how many of you saw that in the theater because I I don't remember seeing it in the theater because there was so much other stuff at that time. And so kudos to I mean, and it's it's it is. We'll talk about it. It's a groundbreaking film. I remember Andy, I was laughing because I went back and looked at the video games I was playing, like Tomb Raider and Tekken 2 or whatever. And and the animation in this is similarly, it's kind of got the blocky animation, but it's so much better even than what they were doing in in other, you know, modes like video games and cartoons and such. So um, this is really cool. I mean, to make as much money it did in less theaters, um, than the Golden Eyes and the Ace Ventures. Good call on that kid. I totally forgot when Nature Calls came out. I, I was trying to figure out what awesome. the hell I was doing that I didn't see this in the theater. And I'm like, I must have been grounded or something because I have no memory of this movie before yeah. my 20s. 
Um, yeah, so many. Usual Suspects came out that year. Apollo 13. Yeah. So I, I'm Andy, like looking at Andy's the website. favorite Batman Forever came out. You know, all these great. Hackers. <laughs> Seven. Uh, What's in the box? Ooh, to Wong Fu, thanks for everything. Oh, came great out film. In, in, in September. Our parents would have I mean, loved to take what? us to the drive-in to see that. Seriously. Yeah. It would have been the, <laughs> the, the, the evening version after the that would have been the 930 show, right? Um, but but yeah, I mean, what a great year for films, but but kudos to it for making so much money in mm-hmm. I mean, this is all those Apollo 13 made 200 million, Batman probably made 200 million. That's that's it's up against some really um, good competition to do so well. Yeah. Well, I think I it, there it, there must have been some reason why kit like you were either like maybe you were out of town and like uh like you went to san diego for thanksgiving and we went over thanksgiving or something i can't remember mm-hmm. or or, or michigan sick. or yeah. whatever or sick yeah i don't remember but i have yeah i remember going to see this with with like the whole family and, hmm. um yeah. Almost the whole family. <laughs> Almost the whole family. <laughs> I don't have I don't have any issues about this at all. Going to see going to see it with the well, but we had little we had little little yeah. siblings yeah. who, you know, were the target demographic here. And yeah, I'll go along and see this see this Toy Story movie, sure. Yeah. And had a great time. And the like yeah, the animation was amazing. Um, and still to this day, it's like just an amazing achievement in them being able to put this together. Uh, do you want me to talk about that? Yeah, and I think if, if you get into the, the voice acting too, because I know the, the people who ended up doing it are such non-traditional, you know, like mm-hmm. like Ernest, for heaven's sakes, right? And yeah, um, it, it, it turns out so well because it's such a unique, voice acting i mean i'm sure all of us waited for the t-rex to say inconceivable right <laughs> yeah. there's just so many clever aspects of not only the animation but also how they picked voice actors and that's even before we get into how the writers what a unique cast of characters Oy. put their hands on this talk about the writers yeah um anyway. okay so but really this all starts with pixar as a company and we have to go back to the very very beginning of pixar by the way there is a documentary on disney plus called the pixar story and it is an amazing time capsule caught in amber of exactly like the company line on what everybody thought about john lassiter right before uh well not right before like four or five years before uh, Me Too and all of the stuff started coming out about him and his treatment of female employees at Pixar and on and on. But it's it's very interesting to watch it through that lens and see like, huh, there are no women working at Pixar in any of this archival footage. Very, very but Pixar was founded by uh, three people. Um, 
one of whom you might have heard of, a guy named Steve Jobs, uh, who uh, after... You think I've heard of him. Yeah, this was just his night job. This was his night job, though. This this was kind of his night job, actually. Uh, uh, Night jobs. Uh, He had been... Where he was known as Stevie. (laughs) The night jobs. (laughs) The night jobs. Can you imagine? On the night jobs. Why wasn't that in the documentary about life. We, uh, we were robbed. Steve by day, Stevie by night. <laughs> Steve Jobs had been ousted from Apple, which he had also founded, but they're like, this guy's too crazy and erratic. We want him out. The board forced him out, but he got a big payout and he had a bunch of money hanging around. He was looking for stuff to do. Meanwhile, George Lucas uh, had started this company in the 80s Uh, or this division within Lucasfilm to create digital animation. And they'd done all sorts of cool stuff. Uh, They did, they actually did the special effects for Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, uh, the the digital animation of the Genesis effect on the planet. That was one of the first big projects Pixar worked on. Uh, Another one, Young Sherlock Holmes, if you've ever seen that, uh, won the Oscar for special effects that year. Um, but Lucas, after uh, Return of the Jedi, and uh, like looked around and is like, I'm not going to make any more of these movies. This thing is very expensive. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. They're just like doing weird esoteric special effects stuff. I'm going to sell it. And so he spun it off out of Lucasfilm. And they brought in Steve Jobs as an investor, and he took it over. Um, one of their first hires was this guy, John Lasseter, who had been an animator at Disney. Um, he did. He started his first big project was uh, the Fox and the Hound, and um, he sort of complained and was upset about the limitations of traditional animation they just didn't have the budget to do all of the cool stuff that he grew up loving with uh looking back at like uh sleeping beauty or uh snow white and saying like why can't we take the time that they did uh to do all of this stuff and um he and a bunch of other disney employees uh saw what disney had put together with this little movie called Tron uh, that had a bunch of computer effects. And he's like, this is it. This is the future. And he kept pitching computer animation to everybody who would listen to him. And no one at Disney was having anything of it. They thought, if you know, suddenly if animation was done on computers, then hand-drawn artistry would be replaced by machines. And they didn't want any of that. And they're like, this is crazy. Uh, he was given a project to incubate of uh, bringing the brave little toaster to screen and pitched it um, in his final pitch meeting as an as a computer generated film. And the executives were having none of it uh, and they fired him. They're like, this is ridiculous. They're like, nope. Your project is canceled, and since that's your only job is to develop this, you're out. Um, Lasseter meets up with these people who are starting Pixar, and they bring him in 
basically Pixar at this point is a software company uh, selling software to do um, digital effects. And But he comes in and he's like, you know, this is how you do traditional animation. And they wanted to do all sorts of things. They started making animated shorts uh, that got a lot of attention. And they were also making money doing visual effects for other movies that came out um, and writing the software for that. But the idea was always, we want to do a full length animated feature. And, uh, they finally got the chance to do that when, uh, there was some, uh, reconciliation with Disney, um, as Disney was going through their Renaissance period. And they said, we will co-develop with you a computer animated film. And uh, so he started working on this idea for um, for about toys and uh, how they come to life when when the kid isn't there. And uh, I <laughs> the the script got way out of hand. Uh, the original script ideas were um, from you'll notice that there's uh, story credits in here from John Lasseter. Uh, Pete Doctor and Andrew Stanton, all of whom who are big Pixar guys, and Stanton and um, and Doctor go on to direct a lot of the other big important Pixar movies. Um, but it's it's kind of a mess, and they keep getting all of these studio notes from Disney, uh, specifically from one Mister Jeffrey Katzenberg co-founder of Queeby, who wants the movie to be really edgy. <laughs> and basically, that that's what he kept saying. He's like, these guys have to be more edgy. And they figured out that the real problem with the movie about halfway through drafting it was that they turned Woody into a complete and total asshole. And they're like, this guy's supposed to be our hero and we hate him. He sucks. Because everything he says is sarcastic and it's terrible. Um, they're like, okay, back to the drawing board. Um, they they bring in some other people to to work on the script with them. Uh, one of whom is Joss Whedon. I paused for. I was like, is is that going to get better? Uh, like, are people going to? Are people? Do people have anything to say about Joss Whedon? Is that? booze applause i don't know i was on mute and my initial reaction did not come through so um (laughs) i welcome the audible i um i look as a woman who's also a feminist i i feel like we've talked about this but i'm not sure if we talked about it on the podcast or just between us but Mm -hmm. um it gets damn old being told that certain people are allies only to find out they're the exact opposite, that they're like predators. Mm-hmm. Just give lip play to being allies to look cool or gain some kind of cred. And um, and then, you know, you you find out that they're not and it's just so disappointing. And Joss Whedon it was a great example of that. Of course, through some of his work, we can see, I don't think he was nearly the feminist everybody just because you cast women in lead roles doesn't mean that your work is feminist mm-hmm. um if you've ever seen dollhouse it's oh yeah 
Very problematic. I mean, he never never said that the problematicness was good. He said it was a problem. He's like, this is a problem, but I want to cover it in leather and show it to y'all for the next two years. Yeah, no thank you. Right. Um, But anyway, it's just, you know, um, it's old because sometimes you get discouraged and you start to think, is anybody an ally? You know, are they all just playing lip service to this? And, you know, it, it's just very discouraging. So, but that being said, it doesn't mean that he hasn't put out some really great work. You know, he yeah. he co-wrote this. And I think, did he have a hand in Toy Story 3 as well or something? I forget. Um, but it, I mean, he's, he's done some great work over the years. And, um... I'm just glad there was someone to like rein him in because you know if you look at the story writing credits, there's like four people, yeah, script writing. So he was not the only one, and thank God because you know if he, if he was given free reign, and you'd end up with like the Justice League movie or some shit. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, obviously weird... freaking yeah. terrible, you know. Um, uh, so yeah, I just I, I definitely have a reaction to that, but I would not ever let it affect this you know how i feel about this movie um because I, I still love this movie and and as we've seen already it's pretty much infinitely quotable i mean we've, we've already gone through several quotes and I'm, I'm excited to see what everybody's favorite quote is and, and i know that he may have written some of those but i don't care whatever yeah he, he better have given something beautiful to this world considering everything else he did you know well he, he changed a lot of it right andy i mean he, he did he, kind of flipped a lot of the main characters especially buzz yeah and yeah they really well they really tried to lighten the characters up and the the other two people who were the non-pixar people uh are uh alex sokolow and joel cohen not the joel cohen from the cohen brothers but sokolow and cohen have co-written a bunch of stuff that you may have heard of like Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties, and Money Talks, starring Chris Tucker and Charlie Sheen. Wow. Uh, that's kind of their, their favorite. Snarky. Uh, so it's... Nobody outright said where the, like, the bad script stuff was coming from, but if I had to, like, put a dollar on it, I would... You know, I would maybe bet that was kind of them, but they were so involved in the scripting process that they had to give them credit under Writers Guild rules or whatever. Um, but I get the feeling, actually, that, like, Dr. Lassiter and um, uh, Stanton um, and Ann Whedon were, were the guys who were doing uh, a lot of the work to to make it what it is. Emphasis on guys. Lots of lots and lots and lots of guy energy in, in a lot of this. Anyway, um so uh they they tell Jeffrey Katzenberg F you and uh he's about to leave Disney anyway, which by the way, uh begins a feud between Pixar and Katzenberg, uh remembering that um Katzenberg knew that Pixar was working on A Bug's Life, and so his first project when they announced DreamWorks Animation was to create 
an animated ants movie and beat it and beat Bugs Life out into theaters because that's the kind of guy. Jeffrey Katzenberg, co-founder of Queefy was. Uh, anyway, um, just some like fun backstory uh, because we just can't stop talking about Jeffrey Katzenberg, co-founder <laughs> of Queefy. <laughs> so, um, not that the, any of that's relevant to Toy Story, uh, but it's just fun. So, um, they they have this like breakneck schedule. Uh, they they work on this movie in shifts because they only have one computer that can actually do the animation on it. And so, like, Stanton will take an eight-hour shift. Doctor will take an eight-hour shift. Lassiter would take the night shift. And everybody and like, gets carpal tunnel, right? Or something like that? It's, yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. And, and like, Lassiter's sleeping in the office and... Um, like they have to come in and wake him up every morning and make sure he's not dead. Uh, it's this grueling production, but they, um, Roy Disney is like looking over the animations as they come in and he's like, I don't understand this. I don't know if this is going to be any good. Um, because everything that's coming in are these weird, like, uh, animatics that are just like lines that aren't like there's no color on them uh i don't i don't know how best to describe that if, but if you've ever seen like that stage of like early computer animation um and then uh he he's like i don't know this movie might be a disaster but we're gonna do it anyway and then like in the last two weeks when the final renders come in and he sees that final sequence with uh, the car chase and the rocket. He's like, this is so brilliant. This is perfect. <laughs> this is going to be a giant hit. Never mind. All of my doubts are gone. So, um, but they, you know, Disney was really kind of putting a gamble on this. But, um, you know, it, it turned out. And... Um, the movie obviously opened to giant acclaim, made a huge amount of money, uh, was uh, one of the biggest animated films of the year, uh, and they gave John Lasseter a special Oscar for achievement in animation for making the the first uh, computer animated uh, film ever, um, and it really skyrocketed the entire industry forward and um between between that and the work that pixar had done uh creating the graphics for jurassic park and uh a bunch of other like really high profile films um they were now like the hottest place in uh in the world so yeah um crazy uh, very grueling production on on all of this and went through a lot of weird ups and downs but uh not a lot of ladies involved in the production of this film uh none in fact and that's where i'm going to begin because i think that is very evident <laughs> and um that that's this movie is so amazing 
So I don't want people to think that I don't think this film is anything but awesome in terms of what it did to the animation industry um, and just being an overall great film. But there, there's like no women in this movie. All of the female characters have very few lines. They're completely underdeveloped. Um, it, gosh, it takes four movies for Bo Peep to actually like get something to really do. Um, but I, it then shows through the through the evolution of of these movies how they grow from being this very very male centered um, film and film series to something that is. Uh, very different and much and much more inclusive and much more open, which which I think is great, because um, I think this film is both things. It is both a, a you know very I, should I say sexist? Yeah, yes, um, but also like just an absolute amazing achievement. Can so. can I talk about that for a second? course okay so i feel like this is sexist in the same way that white privilege is racist mm -hmm. it's not going out of its way to be hurtful it's not like oh well we're pixar and we're not gonna hire any women it's like uh we're a teeny tiny team in, a, in an industry that has a glass ceiling and we don't know any women that can do these things because honestly in 1995 there probably weren't a lot of women in Hollywood in computer animation, especially. It was a very, very male-dominated film or field, and film was a very male-dominated field. It's like it still is. It's very much still run by like old white dudes. Look at the Academy, um, mm -hmm. and it's like it took it took someone really having the clout to say Hollywood's so white and you know to and to be like hey hollywood's so full of dicks like uh to to really make any changes but also to provide like that that professional experience and so i'm really grateful that we've seen the the growth and the investment in diversity building that we have over the past few years from disney but in the 90s that was just not there and i don't like it not a fan um but it's it's like funny because i'm watching this and i'm like are there any people of color working on this movie or yes. represented in this movie like andy doesn't even have like any black toys or latino toys and i was thinking about it i'm like you know what i was not even allowed to get a black barbie when I was a kid, like my parents said it was a waste of money and that I would end up not playing with it. So it's like, but I still want one. <laughs> but, um, and so I don't think that it was an overt, like racism, masculinity thing. I think it was that we have a systemic problem with like, white dudes running everything for a really long time through you know america and patriarchy's a bitch which is why we have to smash it there's there's a part of this story that 
Um, John Lasseter uh, very famously uh, attended Cal Arts, which is a essentially a feeder school that Disney set up to train animators. And their very first inaugural class uh, was all men, um, but it included John Lasseter and uh, Brad Bird, who you know would later go on to make the Incredibles films and uh, a lot of Simpsons episodes and Ratatouille and um, great Mission Impossible movies and, uh, and other things. But uh, and also um, uh, Tim Burton. Um, and a bunch of other people in the animation world who you might have heard of, but it was all men. Uh, and, you know, and, but this is, yeah, this is how they did it. And it was, again, really interesting to go back and look at this um, Pixar documentary produced in 2008, 2009, uh, where they were not being conscious at all of um you know trying to be more gender inclusive and uh you know and they're you know they're continuing to talk about disney's nine old men and they interview a bunch of the nine old men and they're talking about how male characters do this and uh, here's how you do animation and it's always he and talking about every character as being a man and it's like, these are the guys who made all the princess movies that we love. And it's very, you know, obviously that that's not their frame of reference. Um, but it's just, it's, I think it's such a stark contrast to come from Turning Red to Toy Story um, and, and just compare them back to back. The most recent Pixar movie, the, um, the first Pixar movie. And, and also I can recommend there there is a inside Pixar documentary series uh, there is one of the episodes oh my gosh I I feel like this is almost embarrassing but I'm glad that they're talking about it they have an interview with a script supervisor who works at Pixar and she talks about a piece of software that she developed to help them track uh, the number of female characters in their films and the amount of dialogue that they have to try to bring up in every stage of the draft like what the gender equity is. And, um, you know, you look at your Cars movies and uh, you look at most of Pixar and they are, they are pretty male-dominated uh, up until just like the last three or four years. So it's, um, yeah, it, again, it's like, this is, these are barriers we still have to break down. I would like to see that tracker. Yeah, me too. Very interesting. I'd really like to see it on all of their upcoming films as well. Um, mm -hmm. so I, yeah. I, I really, I'd like to, uh, yeah. But it's, you know, it's, we were talking about this in, um, you know, in Sleeping Beauty and in Tangled and uh, a bunch of these other films. like Their worst ones? 
but they're they're very male dominated, and that's it, weird and interesting that that would be what they're doing when these are ostensibly marketed towards girls. Just shoving the patriarchy down their throats at a very very early age, getting them to take your take your medicine, learn your lessons now about how the world works. Uh, I'm laughing, but uh, also crying because that's. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. Any other thoughts about um, the sort of uh, that critique of of this mm-hmm. film? Well, it's it's interesting, and and you know, I it, it's 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 very true, and and again, we we've talked about that a lot, and. You know the the biggest problem I have with this movie is the whole middle part. Um, I I really like the beginning and the end, but it, I don't know if the right term is just fragile masculinity, like just the whole bickering and nonsense. That's the right one. Okay, you just yep. the whole middle part of this movie. I'm like, just get over yourselves. It's so annoying to just hear them bicker the whole time. And I know Andy, you're going to get into who's who's potentially a murderer in this film or not, right? Um, Because everybody's trying to kill each other off. Um, But it is. It it doesn't take away from the groundbreaking nature of it, but I think, you know, you're all raising a really good point, which is this is very evidently written by a bunch of, like, men who are worried about their egos, right and and it kind of detracts from the movie i think the middle part of the movie is just a real drag um because nobody wants to work together and nobody wants to get along and um i you know brigada again i don't know if that terminology is correct but it, it especially nowadays it's really kind of a bummer um that's like our daily lives yeah i mean and to just it's really see annoying it, to listen to men bicker about their <laughs> right about, all day long. about nothing they should be bickering about like your two toys that, the, that andy would still play with like shut up and um help the aliens out right um or whatever yeah so a- anyway i that was i think it ties in really well because it, it is a very fragile script um, yeah, it could have really used some, like you said, Brooke, some some influence from um, more savvy people. When you have a real banger of like a first 20, 25 minutes, um, everything up through like buzz. A, a mind blowing concept that has never been done before. Right. Like you're totally right, Andy. Like Nothing that has been perceived before how toys act behind the scenes right it's like what wait a great pause pause yeah i want to say that henson or disney or somebody did a really great what henson. toys do on on christmas eve and it was fantastic and now i remember i must have seen toy story because i was real salty <laughs> that it wasn't as good as the henson movie that that and i think i must have like accurate. actively refused to watch it afterwards <laughs> For a this long time, very, it sounds very accurate. I like that you brought that up, but but yeah, again, I I, I, I do. I think um, it it really could have benefited from, like you said, Andy, some, something else in the middle. Well, but. there's a real tonal shift too, where it's like 
as soon as it's like, oh, Woody really becomes, you know, the asshole of this movie and like a, his attempted murder of Buzz, it's like, yeah, he's he's just trying to knock him behind the, uh, the chest of drawers, uh, not out the window, but like, but to the same effect, like, because he is, um, you know, because he's fragile about, you know, losing his place on the bed or whatever, um, you know, it, and, and the movie takes this weird tonal shift where s suddenly everything is antagonistic and, uh, and then it turns into a horror movie for about 20 minutes when, when you get to Sid's house, uh, notice his carpet upstairs looks like the carpet from The Shining. And then they mirror it in all the wallpaper, but in different colors. Right. It's, it's my yeah. favorite side character. Yeah, it's crazy. And then, and then, and then everybody says the downstairs wallpaper looks like it has weed on it. Uh, even though those are clearly only four leaves. But, but. I mean, I think that's one of the, things I like about Pixar is that they play to so many different levels of humor and intelligence and age mm -hmm. is that they throw so many different things in there and I mean I think this is clearly one movie where we can say that they weren't trying to write in something that was like subtle social commentary but like being a woman looking in it's a really interesting movie to watch and be like, yeah, okay, but like, this is what would really happen. So, yeah. Between men, this is what, like, not all men, but like, every day at work and these types of communities, like, there would be that dude at the top who thinks that he's so giving and chivalrous and honorable and really is just like, a closet narcissist asshole and so like I know I raised the question a lot did they write it because they were trying to write what they know or did they write it because they were trying to show us something bigger and in this case it seems very clear like they thought they were just writing a good script when really they were writing their own daily lives but I don't know and I, I think like one thing about about Disney is they I mean, if you're going to teach girls how to girl, then you're ipso facto going to teach boys how to boy. Mm -hmm. And like, I think competition is a really big part of American culture and like being mm -hmm. exceptional can be good or bad depending on where you are and who you're with. And I think that at the beginning of the movie, like Brooke said, you know how Woody was very comfortable in being the exceptional person in the classroom. He was the smartest kid in school. And like, that was his identity. And then all of a sudden, you know, Buzz shows up and he's not as shiny. And there's this competitive spirit that comes out in him again, or that, you know, yeah. and I mean, it's very human to be like, if I'm exercised from exercised, ostracized from the group, then I'm going to die. Like, that's a basic human instinct. Um, and I think that, you know, we see it a lot in, in stories for girls of girls being really competitive and catty and mean to each other. But when men are doing it, 
unless it's a kid like a Kevin Spacey movie from the 90s you're you know you're like oh why is he so insecure and so part of me is like oh this is actually kind of groundbreaking because we're showing men having an emotion other than anger Mm-hmm. And like we're seeing insecurity and we're seeing competitiveness and sadness and like try- confusion about what your role is going to be and how you maintain your identity and all of that. And I'm just like, okay, so this is kind of smart. And I'm guessing that came in from Whedon because he does do the feels and the, you know, pretty well for the most part, especially in the 90s. But I, I, I do think that... It was a little bit, you know, I'm not going to say, it's like, yeah, JB's right. It was annoying by, uh, by about minute 30 because it's like, you know, Tom Hanks is really charming and fun, but when he's losing his shit, he just turns into this really annoying person, <laughs> which is why it was such a good cast. Well, so and, men yeah, and, everywhere, oh. pay attention and don't do this shit. Good call. Well, and, and women, you know, if you're if you're insecure true. about your place, then you know humans everywhere pay attention. Yeah, do do the work and and handle it, but don't throw people behind desks or out of windows or off of moving vans. It's just bad business. Yeah, and you know, to to the point of Hanks being really good casting, um, Hanks notoriously like doesn't really get this movie and like really had to be talked into it uh they they did an animatic for him uh where they took his dialogue from turner and hooch and where uh you know the dog's like attacking the car or whatever and he's like no 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 don't don't do that no not the drool or you know whatever whatever it is but <laughs> And they're like, this is why we think you're perfect for it. And he's like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, you, I'll, I'll do it. Um, and that was my favorite Turner and Hooch rendition ever, by the way, Andy. Well done. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, the drool. Oh. <laughs> well, I don't remember the dialogue. But, like, but, that was, but that was the scene that they that they animated. From. But yeah. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but he 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 got into this, it, and interestingly enough, um, you know, I I asked everyone this earlier this week. Uh, Tom Hanks recently, like in the last week or so, has said like I've been in a bunch of movies. Four of them are pretty good, uh, which is you know some some self deprecation, but also like. I think maybe does speak to what he thinks about his own, uh, his own performances. Um, I want to know from all of you, would you put a toy story in one of those top four? No, no. No. Okay. And I don't think, I don't think he would though. He didn't. He definitely wouldn't. Yeah. Every time he goes on Graham Norton, he complains about how much work an animated film is and, and we've talked about that <laughs> but no not none of these as as great of movies as they are i don't think i don't know that tom hanks is what makes them incredible right yeah i didn't think this one would be his best performance um but i'm trying i can't keep the later movies really straight 
Um, yeah, that's true. One has a fork, right, kid? Yeah, it's <laughs> like one's got a bear and everything's on fire. And then there's another one where they're <laughs> all at like a theme park and everything's on fire. One's got Frasier. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I do. I do really like them. And I think Hanks is fantastic in them. But I, I do also. <laughs> just I like, don't know that I've seen the rest of them. <gasps> hmm. I'm kind of excited oh, yeah. for you because like Melissa said they are nuggets of joy yeah, yeah. they're great and tears <laughs> well <laughs> yes I I cried a lot at Toy Story 3 Yeah, I took my nephews to see it they were so young back then and they were not crying and they made fun of me mercilessly <laughs> no <laughs> kidding we went to dinner afterwards and I, you know, like when you've cried really hard and you go and you like, you're recovered, you've blown your nose, your tears are white, but you still are like red in the face. And you're like, still mm-hmm. that your voice still has that lilt to it that from after crying, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, mm-hmm. All through dinner, they're just like, you're going to cry again. Or like, you know, or like we took the, the, no. the pepper shaker and we're like. Uh, oh, look, here's Pepper. That must be why Aunt Lisa was crying, you know? And it, it was, I was like, what? Shut up, you know? Um, I cried a lot at that movie. Holy yeah. Jesus. But um, No, seriously. I, I didn't yeah. cry at this one, but I, I want to say a few things, lest y'all think I was, like, asleep that whole time again. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those of you listening at home, I was late today because I got both my shots yesterday, the and I've just been asleep all day. So I did not fall asleep while y'all were talking. Um, so asleep. Woody is my absolute favorite. And mm-hmm. I know he did some shitty things in this movie. Um, but he's still my favorite. And, and he always was from the very beginning. Because I can kind of relate to that whole, you know, feeling kind of left behind. And, and, and you know, even the jealousy. I mean, I'm not perfect. Um, and I... I just feel like he's more relatable. Um, somebody who delusionally thinks he's a real person when he's actually a toy. I don't know if that's as relatable. Um, Woody experienced some real human emotions. Now he did some shitty things as a result. And I am not going to say that those things were okay. And and I think that what y'all said earlier about men having their hands over this film and no women really working on it, that had something to do with his aggression, I think, and how, and how far he took things. Right. Um, if a woman had had a chance to write, you know, or correct things here, um, do a little script doctoring, I think Woody wouldn't have gone as far as he did. Um, but I still relate to him so much because, you know, he's not perfect. and But he came around, and I think that's the biggest thing that you should take away about what he hears that he realized what he was doing was wrong. He realized that, you know, he can't act that way. And, you know, he, he made sure that, that, uh, he fixed things, you know, and he didn't leave, he had several opportunities to leave buzz behind and he didn't. And, um, Mm -hmm. so I don't know. I, that's why I relate to him. I actually find buzz annoying (laughs) in the way that we all found Woody to be annoying. Um, I, I found him to be infinitely annoying, and I didn't really want to watch Lightyear as a result, but I did anyway because, you know, even though I didn't get to see America's ass, at least it was the voice of America's ass that I got to listen to uh, with Chris Evans, who I, I and I don't Very like nice. that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't like that, like, white boy 
muscly white boy look usually, but for some reason he just does it for me. Um, so yeah, I just, um, I, I love Woody. He is my absolute favorite from day one. And, um, I understand y'all's criticism of him, but, but that's my Woody right there. Well, no, I'm with you. And yeah. I mean, I, what, what I, what I think is so brilliant about this movie is Woody and Buzz both go through giant character arcs, like life changing character arcs with Buzz, like having a, an literally an existential crisis of not knowing what his purpose is or why he's here. Uh, and Woody having to confront his own insecurities and then when he does making a li a lifelong friend as valuable to him as the the love he feels from uh from his owner from Andy and that is beautiful and um you know the the elements of fragile masculinity in this movie aside the the ending point yeah. that they both get to, I think, is very positive yeah. in the sort of how-to boy, um, you know, uh, realm. That if we can, if we can teach boys that that's that's how you overcome things, then you know, uh, that's that's great. And and I think you know, with with Buzz, he didn't have much of a choice. It was he was confronted with with the truth and he had to deal with it in a positive way. Uh, Woody could have chosen to continue to be an asshole and did not. And, and that's, and that's great. And that's remarkable. And it did lead to the funniest scene where he's at the tea party, mm. which yeah, yes. yeah, is I'm still rolling from, his him drunk on tea, <laughs> like how... sucking down Darjeeling with Marie Antoinette. <laughs> and her so good. <laughs> anyway, such. I, but you're, you're right. I did really like, like you said, Melissa, the the emotions of what he's having to feel. I think of being displaced and deciding what to do with it. I I think that's maybe not just fragile masculinity but just humanity right like mm -hmm. yeah i do i do find that very very relatable and there is a point at which you realize these are toys and they're going to have to go like what kind of epic journey can toys go on without almost being killed by sid right yeah. they have to get there it, it like if we're going to find toys relatable i think there's a, a certain point at which it does kind of have to be a little over exaggerated and and blown up and and maybe being able to see the results of that fragileness of humanity and being displaced and who we are and finding i mean both of them are going on a simultaneous journey of figuring out who they are and what they mean and so i did like that about the show um it was a little over aggressive sometimes but i think it was easy to forgive it that Mm -hmm. For sure, and and just be slightly annoyed at it, rather than being like, I'm turning this off and watching something else. Yeah. So I hope it didn't sound like I was too overly upset with the movie. I wasn't. And I think that's a really good way to frame it, Brooke. Is 
you know, the, the first, the bookends of this film are, are so incredible that, you know, you do, you just kind of, eh, you know, I wish they would have done things different in the middle. Um, and, and, you know, were they to do it today, they probably would have, like you said, Melissa, but, um, I mean, they're, I, I would assume that last 20 minutes in a theater, Andy, people would, were probably cheering because it, for a for an animated film in the mid 90s, it's it's a pretty rousing success, right? To to go yeah. through all of that and do what they did in this movie. So, yeah, and and just yeah, that, that the whole yeah the whole Korean horror film where every trope in a Korean horror film happens in the backyard of Sid's house, I still think that's classic. It's, it's great. Oh, everything where they come out of the sand and come out of the water. And I'm like, that's so well done. I think, I think a lot of the exposition is get, does get a little bit bogged down, but I think every, basically everything from the moment on of, of buzz and the, I will go sailing no more song through the end is just brilliant and Um, also like if you think about it contextually it was only what two or three years after toys came out robin williams's yeah film so it didn't seem extreme (laughs) nope right and so i especially thinking back to the 90s like having the male characters interact that way like it just didn't seem that extreme. It it does seem that way a bit more now. Mm-hmm. But I think it led us very intentionally to Sid's house and to the recovery and to the way that they both figured out who they were and their friendship together and things like that. Like I don't even know how much of that I would change. But. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't know that I'd change any of it frankly i just but it's still like eh, that middle 30 minutes is a lot slower than the first 25 in the last 35 well i like what you said brooke i think you just tone it down right i don't think you change it i just think you maybe reframe or or soften it a little bit i I like that because again it is really high-pitched and harsh um with a lot of in-your-face kind of um machismo which uh i don't know like i grew up on schwarzenegger films i don't need it in my toy story right right <laughs> the toy are the toys gonna sleep with the nanny and have a right on some steam bennett right i don't need tons of that so <laughs> anyway. uh, yeah no but uh yeah overall this movie very good yeah, yeah. Um, oh it's a great movie yeah. yeah, I mean, like you said, that's a that's a nitpicky part, but I I think like what Melissa said, this um, it it's a good start to a a bunch of really meaningful movies, right? Because they I think they do just keep getting better. The second one in particular. Yeah, yeah i I'm interested on this rewatch whether I come out with two or three on top because I know I know those are my two favorites, and I go back and forth on which one. I so three's better if they actually get in the incinerator so you can't pick three. <laughs> <laughs> well we'll we'll get to the spoiler the fan, the fan <laughs> theory <Spoiler. laughs> 
My bad. There is a fan theory on three that they do actually die in the incinerator and everything afterwards is just it's, it's a the toy's idea theater. of the afterlife. Wow. I can't the wait to the afterlife. <laughs> what are you talking about? They get to go be uh, toys with Bonnie now. They get to like that's a anyway. We'll we'll, we'll get <laughs> now here's a fan theory and tell me what you think about this one. There is, you know, this is one of those internet theories that, like, did you know how dark Toy Story really is? <laughs> did you know? Um, there is a, a fan theory that um, Andy's parents are divorcing or that his his dad has died or has in some way left. The idea that... We never see his dad, and um, they're moving, but they're really only moving across town. They're moving to a smaller house instead of this bigger house. Without really saying anything, it's it's fairly obvious um, that you know that that could that could be a reason why. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think that really changes anything but i can get behind that if one thing is true if his mother killed his father and is trying to cover up murder then i'm on board because otherwise that woman is just too happy she's got it way too together there's no like like a woman who's just been divorced or is just lost her father her husband I don't think she's going to be acting like that. Have a birthday party pulled together and thrown that that's on top of things and the move like all that. She just got it way too together. She murdered him and he's and, buried unless, and sits back unless she him. out the window him. with a lamp. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Unless she's yep. a sociopath and has killed her ex, her husband and is now like thriving because of it. Then I can get on board. By so the way, would... everybody go listen to Brooke on yours, mine and theirs. This last episode where they talk about rear window. And the verbs. And the Maybe. verbs. Yeah. And Tin Rillington Place. If you haven't seen Tin Rillington Place, do yourself a favor this Halloween and watch it. I'm I'm gonna watch that. I'm intrigued by this movie now. Yeah. So I would, um, I would like to augment Brooke's theory because I was right? thinking, you know, Andy must have gotten Woody from his mom because you know he's obviously an old toy. He got a Woody from his mom. He got his Woody oh, from his mom. <laughs> got his Woody from his mom. And I'm like, he's in pretty good shape, so he probably didn't get his Woody until he was, you know, a little older. That's what she said. But it would make sense if Mop is a homicidal sociopath that Woody would also be a you know, a homicidal sociopath in denial. Yeah. Very cheerful one. <laughs> oh, yeah, damn. I'm bored. I'm doing my Woody. Oh, oh I can't. Because I, I would argue, I would argue that Woody only went through this transformation because he had to. If yeah. he had not gone through this transformation, mm -hmm. he could not have gone back home. And yeah. so he oh, no, only... Absolutely. Yep. Only changed his ways, only got on board with Buzz because otherwise, what are his options? <laughs> like well, and he says that at the gas station. It's like, uh -huh. if I go home without him, they'll never, they're not going to let me back in the room. Yep. But, I mean, 
it's true, but I don't, I don't really fault him that. Because how many of us are going to change if we don't have to? I think, oh, I think he also 100%. has to, like, come to some sort of a, like, he has to be okay with Buzz being the new fresh thing as right. well. He has to have some sort of a, a relationship with Buzz that makes that okay. And some mm -hmm. sort of sense of security over that too. So I, yes, I, I mean, I think both of those things are true, both from a plot standpoint and like an interior to Woody's like mental life. Like he, he has to, like, cause he and Buzz could not coexist if he did not learn how to do that. You know, Woody coming from the mom and her being a sociopath makes total sense because normally dads would teach their sons about Woody's and mom would teach them about buzzing. Yeah. From the but, very beginning, I was, but if she's, that. but if she's taking on the masculine role and yeah, that makes total sense actually. Yeah. Okay. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it. I think it's best to hear about Woody's from both parents, but if that's not available, <laughs> it's definitely new fan theory. She's a murderer. <laughs> Love it. I like Sid, that. Sid is actually her kid. Oh, wow. I mean, oh, they awesome. do look eerily the same, right? Well, like I was like, are they living like next? Goblin. Are, are, it's like, do they live next door to, you know, his half-brother, but his half-brother, it just went wrong. You they, know, everybody looks like a goblin in this movie. They hadn't figured out how to do humans yet. True I mean, fact. they won't for 15 years. At least. So, um, you know, they're still, they're still working on it. I don't know, when was the first time they, like, actually made, like, a real looking human who wasn't because like the the humans in the Brad Bird movies are like cartoonish hu humans mm -hmm. they're like they're not real proportional humans so inside out maybe don't talk about my super suit <laughs> but they're yeah, they look, yeah they look I like think inside out yeah. yeah probably inside out maybe the first Pixar movie where like they the humans don't look either uncanny valley or like cartoons. Yeah. So that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, you know, we may at some point, I think it would be fun to do all the Pixar non-franchise movies. So we, we'd skip Toy Story and we'd skip Cars and just do all the rest of them. Does that mean Up? Is Up one of those movies? Yes. Can we yeah, skip movie. Cars altogether and never talk about those? Yeah, I second that. Yeah. <laughs> I never liked those. Cars is the apotheosis of John Lasseter's, like, male-centered laziness just on screen. And, yeah. Yes. So yeah, yeah they, they made so many of them, and then they tried to make a. Then another studio made a planes one with Dane Cook because oh, that's how bad those oh, movies. That planes movie is so terrible. Oh my gosh! I never saw it. Ugh. Never saw it. Do not. I mean, Do I know not. that I'm into S and M, but not I mean, that much. I'm gonna make it my birthday movie. <laughs> oh, God. oh fuck you, JB. Veto. <laughs> Veto. 
I would almost want to watch the, R the Power R of One more. instead. Yeah. <laughs> almost. Well, Melissa, I'll, one of these, when you feel in the mood to watch RRR, maybe. But, like, I understand why you don't want to watch it. Mm -hmm. And if you can't, if you can't get past how bro-y of a movie that is, you you will not enjoy it. And I don't want <laughs> you to sit through three hours of not enjoying it. It's it long. does would, not get less bro-y. Yeah. It, it, it's intensely bro -y. Yeah, that's but, what it looks like to me. And I'm like, yeah. not my type. Not my, not my At type. least nobody's mom teaches them about a woman. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing missing from that movie <laughs> you know, I, I gotta say i i'm i'm glad that you know they they subverted that whole disney trope that we've talked about before where like the mom is missing in most yeah. of the movies mm -hmm. and it's the dad the hapless you know ne'er-do-well dad who's present and you know having to be taken care of or whatever you know at least we get the mom this time. I don't know what the hell the dad's doing, but he's Rotting in his mansion. in the backyard. I don't know. Yeah, but. Seriously. Have you seen the burbs? Have I seen the what? The burbs. The Tom Hanks movie? Yeah, he's in the backyard. Yeah. Forever. A long time ago. Forever. I, I don't really remember much about it, but... Actually, he's in the the furnace. Yeah, that's right. He's with, in the the furnace. Toy, with Toy Story 3. He got a clinker! <laughs> Anyway, um, watch. Oh my gosh, first. can we tie all of these movies to different movies? <laughs> yeah, that was really well done. <laughs> yep. That was excellent. Yep. Okay. Um, with that, do we want to talk about the box office or is there anything else we want to talk about before that? Oh, yeah, let's do the box office real quick. Yes, JB said this came out Thanksgiving weekend, uh, November 22nd of 1995. Uh, it made. 30 oh wait no that's it's sorry that's it's opening weekend is 30 million dollars it made 192.5 million dollars yeah pretty well at the u.s box office in adjusted for inflation that's just over 400 million uh it made an additional 173 uh at the international box office so um just uh, made a huge amount of money uh, broke records was the biggest deal and as Melissa said uh, merchandising uh, did did also very well uh, interestingly um, their original deal meant that Disney got all the merchandising rights so Disney made all the money off of the toys and the lunch boxes uh, uh, and it wasn't until Pixar renegotiated the deal many years later that they that they got a, a more equitable split on all of that. Um, yeah. Okay. Any that makes that addition at Disneyland make a lot more sense because it was all like leading you to the gift shop at the bottom of the. Oh uh, yeah, there you go. That's the that's whole what it was thing about. was like taking you down the ramp and into the gift shop where it was just merchandise everywhere. Merchandising. Merchandising. <laughs> where the real money from the movie gets made. The kids love this one. Yeah. Um, studio notes? Who's got them? I like the idea of a couple passes from a female scriptwriter 
Um, I would have loved to have seen what, like, I don't know, like Catherine Bigelow or someone would have done uh, with this movie at this time. I think that would have been interesting. Maybe an Amy Heckerling type. Yeah. 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 That would have been nice. Um, so one note I have, and this was discussed already, although I didn't join that part of the discussion, was that the movie does sag a little when when they're just arguing relentlessly. And I feel like um, it, it, could have, it could have done with a, a little less aggression from Woody. Um, again, I, I, uh, like Brooke said, I don't begrudge him, his feelings. I mean, those were authentic feelings that I think anybody would have felt by being displaced like that, especially so suddenly. Um, and, and, you know, it's something, obviously all the toys had that fear. And I think any of the toys could have reacted that way. And we know this because they send the little soldiers out every Christmas and birthday to report back. So they're all scared you know yeah um about what kind of toy might displace them so uh he had some very human emotions for being a toy and and i just thought that was really well done but they did you know make a few missteps here and there and it would you know it could have done not just from a woman's touch but really just an outside perspective in general you know um because I, I think sometimes when you get scenes like that, it's because the people involved are so into it, they can't see the forest for the trees and they don't really understand because they think it's so great and they don't understand that others might not think it's so great. And I think a lot of Disney movies suffer from that. Uh, by the way, it's not just this one. But Agreed. other than that, this is, I mean, just a delightful movie. And um, I I don't have a lot of criticism of it other than that. Um I, I really enjoyed rewatching it. It had been a while since I rewatched this first one and uh, all the sight gags and, you know, the one liners and everything. I just, it made me so happy. Yeah. You yep. needed Alan to do it. Mm. Hey, that would have been fun. Yeah. yeah. Have him be one of the aliens. It makes. He hadn't movie. gone to Juilliard at this point. That was his problem. He was still still a teenager in El Paso. He could have been a scud. Yeah, he could have. Oh, yeah. That would have been fun. <laughs> I was talking, but I was on mute. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I was really clever just now. Uh, <laughs> Alan Tudyk would be perfect for my only studio note, which is I think it would have been fun. Like, if they're not going to rewrite some of their characters and stuff, there's so many different personality types that we get through these different toys, which I think is very, very clever. If one of them had been, and I don't know what toy you would insert into it, but Alan Tudyk would be a great voice for it. Um, more of a therapist-type toy that Woody would have conversations with and go with to, like, tell his his secret feelings and his darkness too and these different things and and like somehow incorporate that into the movie one because it would give us an interesting dialogue about the emotions that he's having on the backside but to also introduce at a really young age that therapy is great and wonderful and everyone should have one even if it's a toy so i i think that would have been a fun way to break up some of the like over aggro aggression that's going on in it 
but that would be like my only my only studio Kelsey Grammer as the later host in Hedgehog as a therapist would have been great (laughs) we're we're bringing in all sorts of elements from all over the franchise yes yeah but yeah it would be fun well, and it's it's funny because I'm like the thing that comes to my mind about that middle part is faster and more intense, and I was like, mm-hmm. you know, could they have made the, you know, could they have just shrunk that thirty minutes into twenty minutes, and had it be a stronger movie? And I'm like, I don't know because I think what they were trying to show was emotional like conflict, and you know, action story and emotional story sometimes don't play well together. Uh, well, and so. they had to get a lot of those gags in there. They had to, you know, yeah. there had to be the scene where Woody goes in the back of the truck and Buzz sits in the, and buckles his seatbelt to show that, like, Woody doesn't know what's up all the time. Sometimes Buzz is right, even though he is deluded. Uh, they had to have all the stuff in the pizza planet, even though it's weird, because we get, we get the claw. We love that part. And there's, you know, just a bunch of weird, like, world building and stuff in there that that we get. Um, And all of that. So it's hard to say, like, what to cut, but... Yeah. 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 And I I think, like, you know, it's it's sad. I'm like, I feel like if maybe... And I'm not going to say if we hadn't had Pixar, we wouldn't have Turning Red... But I wish that that level of mindfulness and like commitment to inclusion had been part of their culture from the beginning. Right. Yep. Well, I'm glad they're there now. I'm yes. glad that now Pixar, you know, Domi Shi is now the chief creative officer. And that's great. So she gets to she gets to make the choices about the next generation of Pixar movies. So that's great. Yeah, I mean, I think the only thing we talked about all of my studio notes, I think the only thing had this movie been in a vacuum I think you could make it 10 minutes longer and do more from the other side characters Uh, but but the fact that there were a bunch of sequels and we got to keep learning about them, I think makes the hour 11 or 17 runtime pretty well, pretty well done Um, but yeah, if this had been a standalone I, I, I do. I would have, you know, we were lucky to get Mrs. Potato Head, like you said, Kit, and some of the other characters later on. Um, and you, you probably would have had to find a way to get some of them in here. Um, but I, I, I like the misfit toys. I wanted more of them. I mean, that my favorite side character, spoiler, is the duck, the, the muscle duck, because I mean, that whole doorbell part. Um, I would have loved to have had that like on a ring or an echo, like where you just see this duck toy swinging to ring your doorbell. Um, I mean, there was a lot of clever parts that, um, by itself you, you could have done some more with, but, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, other than that, I, I agree with all of you. I think this is, they, they did a really good job and, and kept it pretty concise with what they were setting out to do. Yeah. It's never been fun if one of the, like misfit toys was holding a notepad and it didn't have a head and couldn't speak but was the therapist oh <laughs> yes his shit over at this house and just like taking notes and nodding <laughs> would have been great 
Yeah, there's the, the the addition of the second house full of toys. That whole part is still my favorite from the whole franchise. Just that seven minute scene. Because um, I love how they incorporated all the skill sets of these toys. You wouldn't expect to have skill sets, right? So just really well done. And that was one of my favorite parts as a kid. Sorry, I know I'm interjecting here, but... No, great. My brothers and I used to be Sid. And we would, like, pull out my My Little Ponytails and put bottle rockets in and see if they would fly in the air. and do Not because we hated toys, we were just curious. But, um, <laughs> They're coming for you now, bro. <laughs> I know. But going to Sid's house and seeing some of those things, like, he was a little bit insane. But then, like, watching his little sister still have the tea party with her headless dolls like each of them missing a head i i remember even as a kid like when i watched it i laughed my ass off at that because that's absolutely my life my mom still has all of these toys and she's it's like one of those wardrobe clothes boxes the really big ones full of all my my little ponies and strawberry shortcakes and cabbage patch dolls but they're all like mutilated in these weird ways she took them all out and she's like maybe we could sell these and get some money and then she pulled them all out and she was horrified because (laughs) none of them were okay (laughs) that's so funny (laughs) so i liked that it was relatable to me yeah Yeah, there's some like you said there's some great sight gags there like how he's got the heads in the lava lamp somehow (laughs) i know i don't know how he got the lava lamp open to dump all the heads in there just need a bottle opener it's very easy is it oh you you had a much more maneuverable lava lamp than my first one (laughs) well we all know that sid's gonna grow up to be an engineer and it's fine Uh, that's or yeah Yeah. Or a psychopath. But yeah, yeah. He's, but he's definitely got a job in Silicon Valley somewhere. Or he's with Andy's he's mom He's one of those later. tech bros. Yeah. So, well, thanks for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> Sid's TED Talk. Sid's yeah. TED Talk. Uh, I, I, have a, I have a studio note. Um, okay, Randy Newman. Um... I I like you've got a friend in me, and he is in some ways a good person to sing that song. I do not sing <laughs> anything else in this movie. I just I uh, it I don't know. I just I have a problem with Randy Newman and the, the you know just his vocal delivery, and they obviously got the memo because when they bring in other people to sing his songs they are wonderful like the jesse the cowgirl scene would not have been the same if it had been randy newman singing that song would not have been okay i would have liked to live in a universe where someone else sings um uh i will go sailing no more because it somewhat lessens the emotional impact to have Randy Newman singing it. That is my studio note. Agreed. Um, yeah. Aww, now I'm finally going to understand the Jesse thing from last year. Yeah. Oh. Uh, okay. Any other studio notes? Okay. Who are our favorite side characters? 
I mean, Muscle Duck. I already spoiled it. Muscle Duck. Yeah. I've got a tie between uh, Baby Face, also known as Spider Baby or Baby Head, uh, <laughs> who is the the gross baby head on the on the spider. Right. Uh, and and Wallace Shawn as Rex. Uh, I I loved him. I was going for intimidating. <laughs> yeah, I love him too. He he's one of my favorites. And then I also said Mr. Potato Head just because he has some of the best lines. He does. Like, Ages yeah. three and up. It's on my box. You know, like um, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> and then of course you uncultured swine because that's what I, I use Picasso. My name today. Um, oh, yeah. So good. You know, oh I should shave and he just takes the mustache off. You know, <laughs> I thought he's getting a Mrs. Potato Head. Um, he just has some of the best lines in this movie and uh yeah love it i had never noticed him kissing his own butt before <laughs> me neither i thought it was some weird smoking thing and then i realized it that it was like them talking about the dog kissing it woody's butt and i'm like <gasps> that's edgy for 1995 <laughs> like the soldier boys are still like what, what are they called? The army men? The army mm-hmm. men are like some of my favorites, too. I like them. And to get Arlie Ermy to do it, like, what a perfect cast. Very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very clever. Yeah. yeah. Um, Speaking of our favorite lines of dialogue, what are they? Hey, look, I'm Woody. Howdy, howdy, howdy. <laughs> <laughs> I love... Tuesday night's plastic corrosion awareness meeting. <laughs> what a great, like the toys get together and have union meetings, right? Like, I like that one. And I, I like the, I don't believe that man has ever been to medical school. <laughs> I love some of those, yeah, there's some really clever ones that they have. My favorite is that's not flying. That's falling with style. Falling with style. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I, I also JB's. love all the Mrs. Nesbit. Sorry, go ahead. That's what I was about to say. I was oh like, JB God. already said it, but one minute you're defending the whole galaxy, and suddenly you find yourself sucking down Darjeeling, Antoinette, <laughs> and her little sister. Don't you get it? You see the hat? I am Mrs. Nesbit. <laughs> Mrs. <laughs> Where did they even find that name from? That's what I. It's got to be like a reference to something, right? I don't know. That's a good not question. That I can, not that I can recall, but it'd be great. She shows up as a real person in Toy Story 4 as Bonnie's preschool teacher. So, like, the fan theory in canon is that, like, Mrs. Nesbitt was also, um, what's Sid's little sister's name? Molly. I can't. Molly. Molly. No, Molly is Andy's little Isn't sister. It Jan- oh! Jan- Jan- Janice? Oh, no. But his, yeah, Sid's little sister was also Anna. her preschool Okay, yeah. Anna, yeah. Yeah. Uh, was also her preschool teacher, and, um, and, and that's where the name, like, in-universe came from. But I don't know. I don't know. But that scene, that whole tea scene, you know, like the... <laughs> That, that just shows you, like, this is really meant for adults. Like, so many Disney movies, like, the reference is there. The kids are not going to understand that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They're yeah. just, they're not going to do it. So, it, it's uh, further proof that these are really meant for adults. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, best song. Meh. Nah. Meh. Pass. Everybody's just gonna give it to You Got a Friend in Me? Bro. No, I, that no? song is a ripoff. I think the time of your life is probably the one that bothers me the least. Because it, it, you know, it's like this is a song that feels like Randy Newman and should be Randy Newman. But everything else should have been sung by somebody else. So, Melissa, it's a ripoff? Tell Doesn't it sound like that I Love to See You Smile song or whatever? Mm. Sounds exactly like that to me. That's what I expect to play when I hear the intro. Yeah. Mm. Yep. It the, sounds I was exactly born to make you happy. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Everywhere I go. Yeah. I love to see you smile. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It sounds exactly like that. And which that's is, why it bothers me. Yep. Which is why the best song is actually I Will Go Sailing No More. That's it's, mine the emotional high point of the song but unfortunately sung by randy newman so, i think my favorite no more my favorite song is from the score it's a song called woody's gone because no one is there to teach you about the woody if only there was a mother around to teach you okay <laughs> is this a good movie, everybody? Yeah. yeah. Good choice, yeah. Melissa. Well done. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> very, very, very good movie. I feel bad about how much I complained about it. A historic <laughs> movie. A an important film. Um, and you know, I yeah. That when there's a reason why this gets put in people's like top 100 films of all time uh even though yeah it's not the best one in the franchise it's so it's it's vitally important it's a good start it's mm-hmm. amazing well, look at look at the other animated films in 95 you've got a goofy movie Ugh. hey that that, well, that, that power movie. line song <laughs> you've got goes so this is obviously what was that one? The Pocahontas. Oh, uh, you've got Balto, which wasn't bad. Balto, Balto was great. Yeah, you've got the Land Before Time seventeen. I can't remember <laughs> which one. I think it's I think it's the third one. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a bunch of weird like Casper, where things are semi animated. Um, you do have the Ghost in the Shell movie. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, but you've got Babe and Casper and... Oh, um, I love Christmas Babe. Babe. Christmas means carnage. We should, so, do, we should do Babe. That's a good, like, do do all of Yeah. Only if we can do Charlotte's Web. Yeah. Oh, with Charlotte's Web. Yeah. Just have Talking Pig movies. Talking Pig movies. Um, But anyway, you can see, like, this is a huge jump. <laughs> there apparently in 95 was also a movie called Der Nubcracker, which I believe is just the Nutcracker, but the the cover art does not say Nutcracker. That's the film Woody's mom uh, or Candy's mom. <laughs> did <laughs> Der Nubnacker is what it says on here. Der yeah. Nubnacker. Anyway, you can watch it on Tubi. Um, okay. So yeah, I mean, this is a huge jump yeah. from from these kind of movies. So yeah, yeah, I agree. Propelled everything forward. Propelled. 
animation as a genre forward propelled computer generated everything forward uh, uh not to mention moves. andy's mom <laughs> <laughs> moved storytelling forward. great 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 film okay uh and in here is the main character a good person i think Ooh. we've got both Ooh. woody and buzz wow woody the murderer <sighs> attempted murderer yeah, I mean, I'm gonna say the main no. person, not Andy. Oh, Andy is definitely a good. Andy's a good person. Murdering Woody, though, that sounds weird, but yes, I don't know. That, that's not until the second movie. Bye, Woody. Bye. <laughs> I mean, um, are, we are giving toys agency. I mean, by the okay, end of the film, yes. Here's the thing. If we're going to say at any point ever in the history of the entire franchise that James Bond is a good person, then Woody's a good person. Fair. True. Mm -hmm. Fair. Can't argue with that. He's just an evolving full human, and I think that does make him a good person. Yeah. He's trying to be good in the middle, at the beginning, and in the middle he finds himself in in a crisis and chooses to become better than he was, even if it's out of necessity, like he still makes that choice. And I think that makes him a really good human person. And are we showing this to children? Yes. Guilty. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely, definitely. Okay, next week, get your tissues ready for... The Jesse the Cowgirl song and <laughs> Toy Story 2 um, with Kelsey Grammer as Stinky Pete. Um, Great, Stinky Pete! Yeah, so lots of lots of lots of fun there. Um, and go, yeah, like I said, go listen to Brooke on Yours, Mine, and Theirs. Go listen to Melissa's recent episodes on Yours, Mine, and Theirs. They're also incredibly good. Um, Go vote in our Facebook poll to let us know what franchises you're interested in us covering next and year. And if you don't know what to vote for, just vote for Hitchcock. And don't you dare add cars. <laughs> yeah, you can add talking pigs, but not cars. <laughs> you can add stuff, and Mark has added some real crap of stuff. And he's trying to sabotage us. Yeah. So yeah, I think he is. You will so. you will be ignored if you do cars. Yeah, if you yeah. play cars that's like the alien versus predator of of franchises so we have yeah. that it's like yeah no and we're not we're not watching go this. listen to andy on all of she hulk with oh welcome to geek town yeah welcome i haven't talked geek about that at all uh yeah brooke and i have been um uh visiting with our friend kurt over at the Welcome to Geek Town podcast, talking about She-Hulk every week. So, but Andy has done all of them. I have not. Yeah, Brooke has done three of them. Yeah. Anyway, those are the three really good episodes. Although the ones with the the ones with Kristen were really good too. So, you can go and listen to those as well. Uh, the one with just me and Kurt is dumb. It's terrible. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. But lots of fun. Go do that. Watch Toy Story 2. And we'll see you next time when we do that. Okay. uh, Big consensual kiss, everybody. No. No? (laughs) Okay. Thanks. Bye. Don't get a woody from your mom.
Thank you, that will be all. God damn it, that's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. Then all this, this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye. This show is part of the Geek Nerd Network. Geek Nerd Network. Find more shows like it at geeknerdnetwork.com. This is Janet.